5. In not saying what ought not to be said, often cultivate flashes of silence. It is the larger half of the conversation to listen well. Listen to others patiently, especially the poor. Sharp sayings are an evidence of low breeding. Shun fault findings and fault finders. Never utter an uncomplimentary word against anyone. Compliments delicately hinted and sincerely intended are a grace in conversation. Commendation of gifts and cleverness properly put are in good taste. But praise of beauty is offensive. Repeating kind expressions is proper. Compliments given in a joke may be gratefully received in earnest. The manner and tone are important parts of a compliment. Avoid egotism. Don't talk of yourself, or of your friends or your deeds. Give no sign that you appreciate your own merits. Do not become a distributor of the small talk of a community. The smiles of your auditors do not mean respect. Avoid giving the impression of one filled with suppressed egotism. Never mention your own peculiarities, for culture destroys vanity. Avoid exaggeration. Do not be too positive. Do not talk of display oratory. Do not try to lead in conversation looking around to enforce silence. Lay aside affected, silly etiquette for the natural dictates of the heart. Direct the conversation where others can join with you and impart to you useful information. Avoid oddity. Eccentricity is shallow vanity. Be modest. Be what you wish to seem. Avoid repeating a brilliant or clever saying. If you find bashfulness or embarrassment coming upon you, do or say something at once. The commonest matter gently stated is better than an embarrassing silence. Sometimes changing your position, or looking into a book for a moment may relieve your embarrassment, and dispel any settling stiffness. Avoid telling many stories, or repeating a story more than once in the same company. Never treat anyone as if you simply wanted him to tell stories. People laugh and despise such a one. Never tell a coarse story. No wit or preface can make it excusable. Tell a story, if at all, only as an illustration, and not for itself. Tell it accurately. Be careful in asking questions for the purpose of starting conversation or drawing out a person. Not to be rude or intrusive. Never take liberties by staring, or by any rudeness. Never infringe upon any established regulations among strangers. Do not always prove yourself to be the one in the right. The right will appear. You need only give it a chance. Avoid argument in conversation. It is discourteous to your host. Cultivate paradoxes in conversation with your peers. They add interest to commonplace matters. To strike the harmless faith of ordinary people in any public idol is waste. But such a movement with those able to reply is better. Never discourse upon your ailments. Never use words of the meaning or pronunciation of which you are uncertain. Avoid discussing your own or other people's domestic concerns. Never prompt a slow speaker, as if you had all the ability, in conversing with a foreigner who may be learning our language. It is excusable to help him in some delicate way. Never give advice unasked. Do not manifest impatience. Do not interrupt another when speaking. Do not find fault. Though you may gently criticize, do not appear to notice inaccuracies of speech in others. Do not always commence a conversation by allusion to the weather. Do not, when narrating an incident, continually say, You see, you know. Do not allow yourself to lose temper or speak excitedly. Do not introduce professional or other topics that the company generally cannot take an interest in. Do not talk very loud, affirm, clear, distinct, yet mild, gentle and musical voice has great power, do not be absent-minded, requiring the speaker to repeat what has been said that you may understand, 
Do not try to force yourself into the confidence of others. Do not use profanity, vulgar terms, words of double meaning, or language that will bring the blush to anyone. Do not allow yourself to speak ill of the absent one if it can be avoided. The day may come when some friend will be needed to defend you in your absence. Do not speak with contempt and ridicule of a locality which you may be visiting. Find something to truthfully praise and commend, thus make yourself agreeable. Do not make a pretense of gentility, nor parade the fact that you are a descendant of any notable family. You must pass for just what you are, and must stand on your own merit. Do not contradict. In making a correction say, I beg your pardon, but I had the impression that it was so and so. Be careful in contradicting, as you may be wrong yourself. Do not be unduly familiar, you will merit contempt if you are. Neither should you be dogmatic in your assertions, arrogating to yourself such consequences in your opinions. Do not be too lavish in your praise of various members of your own family when speaking to strangers. The person to whom you are speaking may know some faults that you do not. Do not feel it incumbent upon yourself to carry your point in conversation. Should the person with whom you are conversing feel the same, your talk may lead into violent argument. Do not try to pry into the private affairs of others by asking what their profits are, what things cost, whether Melissa ever had a boat, and why Amaret never got married. All such questions are extremely impertinent and are likely to meet with rebuke. Do not whisper in company, do not engage in private conversation, do not speak a foreign language which the general company present may not understand, unless it is understood that the foreigner is unable to speak your own language. The toilet. You are the care of the person. Important rules. 1. Good appearance. The first care of all persons should be for their personal appearance. Those who are slovenly or careless in their habits are unfit for refined society, and cannot possibly make a good appearance in it. A well-bred person will always cultivate habits of the most scrupulous neatness. A gentleman or a lady is always well-dressed. The garment may be plain or of coarse material, or even worn, thin and shiny. But if it is carefully brushed and neat, it can be worn with dignity. 2. Personal cleanliness. Personal appearance depends greatly on the careful toilet and scrupulous attention to dress. The first point which marks the gentleman or lady in appearance is rigid cleanliness. This remark applies to the body and everything which covers it. A clean skin only to be secured by frequent baths is indispensable. 3. The teeth. The teeth should receive the utmost attention. Many a young man has been disgusted with a lady by seeing her unclean and discolored teeth. It takes but a few moments, and if necessary secure some simple tooth powder or rub the teeth thoroughly every day with a linen handkerchief, and it will give the teeth and mouth a beautiful and clean appearance. 4. The hair and beard. The hair should be thoroughly brushed and well kept, and the beard of men properly trimmed. Men should not let their hair grow long and shaggy. 5. Underclothing. The matter of cleanliness extends to all articles of clothing, underwear as well as the outer clothing. Cleanliness is a mark of true utility. The clothes need not necessarily be of a rich and expensive quality, but they can all be kept clean. Some persons have an odor about them that is very offensive, simply on account of their underclothing being worn too long without washing. This odor of course cannot be detected by the person who wears the soiled garments, but other persons easily detect it and are offended by it. 6. The bath. No person should think for a moment that they can be popular in society without regular bathing. A bath should be taken at least once a week, and if the feet perspire they should be washed several times a week, as the case may require. 
it is not infrequent that young men are seen with dirty ears and neck. This is unpardonable and boorish, and shows gross neglect. Occasionally a young lady will be called upon unexpectedly when her neck and smiling face are not emblems of cleanliness. Every lady owes it to herself to be fascinating, every gentleman is bound, for his own sake, to be presentable, but beyond this there is the obligation to society, to one's friends, and to those with whom we may be brought in contact. 7. Soiled Garments A young man's garments may not be expensive, yet there is no excuse for wearing a soiled collar and a soiled shirt, or carrying a soiled handkerchief. No one should appear as though he had slept in a stable. Shaggy hair soiled clothing or garments indifferently put on and carelessly buttoned. A young man's vest should always be kept buttoned in the presence of ladies. 8. The breath. Care should be taken to remedy unoffensive breath without delay. Nothing renders one so unpleasant to one's acquaintance, or is such a source of misery to oneself. The evil may be from some derangement of the stomach or some defective condition of the teeth, or catarrhal affection of the throat and nose. See remedies in other portions of the book. A young man's personal appearance, dress changes the manners, Voltaire, whose garments wither, shall receive faded smiles, Sheridan Knowles, men of sense follow fashion so far that they are neither conspicuous for their excess nor peculiar by their opposition to it, Anonymous, 1, a well-dressed man does not require so much an extensive as a varied wardrobe, he does not need a different suit for every season and every occasion. But if he is careful to select clothes that are simple and not striking or conspicuous, he may use the garment over and over again without their being noticed, provided they are suitable to the season and the occasion. 2. A clean shirt, collar and cuffs always make a young man look neat and tidy, even if his clothes are not of the latest pattern and are somewhat threadbare. 3. Propriety is outraged when a man of 60 dresses like a youth or 16. It is bad manners for a gentleman to use perfumes to a noticeable extent. Avoid affecting singularity in dress. Expensive clothes are no sign of a gentleman. 4. When dressed for company, strive to appear easy and natural. Nothing is more distressing to a sensitive person, or more ridiculous to one gifted with refinement, than to see a lady laboring under the consciousness of a fine gown or a gentleman who is stiff, awkward and ungainly in a brand new coat. 5. Avoid what is called the ruffianly style of dress or the slouchy appearance of a half and button vest and suspenderless pantaloons. That sort of affectation island if possible. Even more disgusting than the painfully elaborate frippery of the dandy or dude. Keep your clothes well brushed and keep them cleaned. Slight spots can be removed with a little sponge and soap and water. 6. A gentleman should never wear a high hat unless he has on a frock coat or a dress suit. 7. A man's jewelry should be good and simple. Brass or false jewelry, like other forms of falsehood, is vulgar. Wearing many cheap decorations is a serious fault. 8. If a man wears a ring it should be on the third finger of the left hand. This is the only piece of jewelry a man is allowed to wear that does not serve a purpose. 9. Wearing imitations of diamonds is always in very bad taste. 10. Every man looks better in a full beard if he keeps it well trimmed. If a man shaves he should shave at least every other day unless he is in the country. 11. The fingernails should be kept cut, and the teeth should be cleaned every morning, and kept clear from tartar. A man who does not keep his teeth clean does not look like a gentleman when he shows them. Dress. We sacrifice to dress, till household joys and comfort cease. Dress drains our cellar dry, and keeps our larder lean, puts out our fires, 
and introduces hunger, frost and woe, where peace and hospitality might reign. Cooper 1. God is a lover of dress. We cannot but feel that God is a lover of dress. He has put on robes of beauty and glory upon all his works. Every flower is dressed in richness, every field blushes beneath the mantle of beauty, every star is veiled in brightness, every bird is clothed in the habiliments of the most exquisite taste. The cattle upon the thousand hills are dressed by the hand divine, who, studying God in his works, can doubt that he will smile upon the evidence of correct taste manifested by his children in clothing the forms he has made them. To love of dress. To love dress is not to be a slave of fashion. To love dress only is the test of such homage. To transact the business of charity in a silken dress, and to go in a carriage to the work, injures neither the work nor the worker. The slave of fashion is one who assumes the livery of a princess, and then omits the errand of the good human soul, dresses in elegance, and goes upon no good errand, and thinks and does nothing of value to mankind. 3. Beauty in dress. Beauty in dress is a good thing. Real at it who may. But it is a lower beauty for which a higher beauty should not be sacrificed. They love dresses too much who give it their first thought, their best time, or all their money, who for it neglect the culture of their mind or heart, or the claims of others on their service, who care more for their dress than their disposition, who are troubled more by an unfashionable bonnet than a neglected duty. For Simplicity of dress. Female lawfulness never appears to so good advantages when set off by simplicity of dress. No artist ever decks his angels with towering feathers and gaudy jewelry, and our dear human angels if they would make good their title to that name should carefully avoid ornaments, which properly belong to Indian squaws and African princesses. These tinselries may serve to give effect on the stage, or upon the ballroom floor, but in daily life there is no substitute for the charm of simplicity. A vulgar taste is not to be disguised by gold or diamonds. The absence of the true taste and refinement of delicacy cannot be compensated for by the possession of the most princely fortune. Mind measures gold, but gold cannot measure mind. Through dress the mind may be read, as through the delicate tissue the leopard page. A modest woman will dress modestly, a really refined and intelligent woman will bear the marks of careful selection and faultless taste. 5. People of sense. A coat that has the mark of use upon it, is a recommendation to the people of sense and a hat with too much nap, and too high luster, a derogatory circumstance. The best coats in our streets are worn on the backs of penniless fops, broken-down merchants, clerks with pitiful salaries, and men that do not pay up. The heaviest gold chains dangle from the FOBS of gamblers and gentlemen of very limited means, costly ornaments on ladies, indicate to the eyes that are well opened, the fact of a silly lover or husband cramped for funds. 6. Plain and neat. When a pretty woman goes by in plain and neat apparel, it is the presumption that she has fair expectations, and a husband that can show a balance in his favor, for women are like books, too much gilding makes men suspicious, that the binding is the most important part, the body is the shell of the soul, and the dress is the husk of the body, but the husk generally tells what the kernel is, as a fashionably dressed young lady passed some gentleman, one of them raised his hat, whereupon another struck by the fine appearance of the lady, made some inquiries concerning her, and was answered thus, she makes a pretty ornament in her father's house, but otherwise is of no use. 7. The richest dress. The richest dress is always worn on the soul. The adornments that will not perish, and that all men most admire, shine from the heart through this life.
God has made it our highest, holiest duty, to dress the souls he has given us, it is wicked to waste it in frivolity, it is a beautiful, and dying, precious thing, if every young woman would think of her soul when she looks in the glass, would hear the cry of her naked mind when she dallies away her precious hours at her toilet, would listen to the sad moaning of her hollow heart, as it wails through her idle, useless life, something would be done for the elevation of womanhood. 8. Dressing up. Compare a well-dressed body with a well-dressed mind. Compare a taste for dress with a taste for knowledge, culture, virtue, and piety. Dress up an ignorant young woman in the height of fashion, put on plumes and flowers, diamonds and gewgaws, paint her face, gird up her waist, and I ask you, if this side of a painted and feathered savage you can find anything more unpleasant to behold, and yet such young women we meet by the hundred every day on the street and in all our public places, it is awful to think of. 9. Dress affects our manners. A man who is badly dressed, feels chilly, sweaty, and prickly. He stammers, and does not always tell the truth. He means to, perhaps, but he can't. He is half distracted about his pantaloons, which are much too short, and are constantly hitching up, or his frayed jacket and crumpled linen harrow his soul, and quite unman him. He treads on the train of a lady's dress, and says, Thank you. Sits down on his hat, and wishes the desert were his dwelling place. Beauty. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies, and all that's best of dark and bright meet her in aspect and in her eyes, thus mellowed to that tender light which heaven to gaudy day denies. Myron. 1. The highest style of beauty. The highest style of beauty to be found in nature pertains to the human form, as animated and lighted up by the intelligence within. It is the expression of the soul that constitutes this superior beauty. It is that which looks out of the eye which sits in calm majesty on the brow, lurks on the lip, smiles on the cheek, is set forth in the chiseled lines and features of the countenance, in the general contour of figure and form, in the movement, and gesture, and tone, it is this looking out of the invisible spirit that dwells within, this manifestation of the higher nature, that we admire and love, this constitutes to us the beauty of our species, too, beauty which perishes not, there is a beauty which perishes not, it is such as the angels wear, it forms the washed white robes of the saints, it wreathes the countenance of every doer of good, it adorns every honest face, it shines in the virtuous life, it molds the hands of charity, it sweetens the voice of sympathy, it sparkles on the brow of wisdom, it flashes in the eye of love, it breathes in the spirit of piety, it is the beauty of the heaven of heavens, it is that which may grow by the hand of culture in every human soul. It is the flower of the spirit which blossoms on the tree of life. Every soul may plant and nurture it in its own garden, in its own Eden. 3. We may all be beautiful. This is the capacity of beauty that God has given to the human soul, and this the beauty placed within the reach of all. We may all be beautiful. Though our forms may be uncomely and our features not the prettiest, our spirits may be beautiful, and this inward beauty always shines through. A beautiful heart will flash out in the eye. A lovely soul will glow in the face. A sweet spirit will tune the voice. Read the countenance in charms. Oh, there is a power in interior beauty that melts the hardest heart. For, woman the most perfect type of beauty. Woman, by common consent, we regard as the most perfect type of beauty on earth. To her we ascribe the highest charms belonging to this wonderful element so profusely mingled in all God's works. Her form is molded and finished in exquisite delicacy of perfection. 
The earth gives us no form more perfect, no features more symmetrical, no style more chaste, no movements more graceful, no finish more complete, so that our artists ever have and ever will regard the woman form of humanity as the most perfect earthly type of beauty. This form is most perfect and symmetrical in the youth of womanhood, so that the youthful woman is earth's queen of beauty. This is true, not only by the common consent of mankind, but also by the strictest rules of scientific criticism. 5. Fadeless Beauty There cannot be a picture without its bright spots, and the steady contemplation of what is bright in others, has a reflex influence upon the beholder. It reproduces what it reflects. Nay, it seems to leave an impress even upon the countenance. The feature, from having a dark, sinister aspect, becomes open, serene, and sunny. A countenance so impressed has neither the vacant stare of the idiot, nor the crafty, penetrating look of the basilisk, but the clear, placid aspect of truth and goodness. The woman who has such a face is beautiful. She has a beauty which changes not with the features, which fades not with years. It is beauty of expression. It is the only kind of beauty which can be relied upon for a permanent influence with the other sex. The violet will soon cease to smile. Flowers must fade. The love that has nothing but beauty to sustain it soon withers away. 6. A pretty woman pleases the eye. A good woman. The heart. The one is a jewel. The other a treasure. Invincible fidelity. Good humor. And complacency of temper. Outlive all the charms of a fine face. And make the decay of it invisible. That is true beauty which has not only a substance. But a spirit. A beauty that we must intimately know to justly appreciate. 7. The woman you love best. Beauty. Dear reader is probably the woman you love best, but we trust it is the beauty of soul and character, which sits in calm majesty on the brow, lurks on the lip, and will outlive what is called a fine face. 8. The wearing of ornaments. Beauty needs not the foreign aid of ornament, but is when an adorned adorned the most, is a trite observation, but with a little qualification it is worthy of general acceptance. Aside from the dress itself, ornaments should be very sparingly used at any rate. The danger lies in overloading oneself, and not in using too few. A young girl, and especially one of the light and airy style of beauty, should never wear gems. A simple flower in her hair or on her bosom is all that good taste will permit. When jewels or other ornaments are worn, they should be placed where you desire the eye of the spectator to rest, leaving the parts to which you do not want attention called as plain and negative as possible. There is no surer sign of vulgarity than a profusion of heavy jewelry carried about upon the person. Sensible helps to beauty. 1. For scrawny neck. Take off your tight collars, feather boas and such heating things. Wash neck and chest with hot water. Then rub in sweet oil all that you can work and apply this every night before you retire and leave the skin damp with it while you sleep. 2. For red hands. Keep your feet warm by soaking them often in hot water and keep your hands out of the water as much as possible. Rub your hands with the skin of a lemon and it will whiten them. If your skin will bear glycerin after you have washed, pour into the palm a little glycerin and lemon juice mixed, and rub over the hands and wipe off. 3. Neck and face. Do not bathe the neck and face just before or after being out of doors. It tends to wrinkle the skin. 4. Scowls. Never allow yourself to scowl, even if the sun be in your eyes. That scowl will soon leave its trace and no beauty will outlive it. 5. Wrinkled forehead. If you wrinkle your forehead when you talk or read, visit an oculist and have your eyes tested, and then wear glasses to fit them. 6. 
old looks. Sometimes your face looks old because it is tired. Then apply the following wash and it will make you look younger. Put three drops of ammonia, a little borax, a tablespoonful of bay rum, and a few drops of camphor into warm water and apply to your face. Avoid getting it into your eyes. 7. The best cosmetic. Squeeze the juice of the lemon into a pint of sweet milk. Wash the face with it every night and in the morning wash off with warm rain water. This will produce a very beautiful effect upon the skin. 8. Spots on the face. Moles and many other discolorations may be removed from the face by a preparation composed of one part chemically pure carbolic acid and two parts pure glycerin. Touch the spots with a camel's hair pencil, being careful that the preparation does not come in contact with the adjacent skin. 5 minutes after touching, bathe with soft water and apply a little gasoline. It may be necessary to repeat the operation, but if persisted in the blemishes will be entirely removed. 9. Wrinkles. This prescription is said to cure wrinkles. Take one ounce of white wax and melt it to a gentle heat. Add two ounces of the juice of lily bulbs, two ounces of honey, two drams of rose water, and a drop or two of otter of roses. Apply twice a day, rubbing the wrinkles the wrong way. Always use tepid water for washing the face. 10. The hair. The hair must be kept free from dust or it will fall out. One of the best things for cleaning it is a raw egg rubbed into the roots and then washed out in several waters. The egg furnishes material for the hair to grow on, while keeping the scalp perfectly clean. Apply once a month. 11. Loss of hair. When through sickness or headache the hair falls out, the following tonic may be applied with good effect. Use 1 ounce of glycerin, 1 ounce of bay rum, 1 pint of strong sage tea, and apply every other night rubbing well into the scalp. How to keep the bloom and grace of youth. The secret of its preservation. 1. The question most often asked by women is regarding the art of retaining, with advancing years, the bloom and grace of youth. This secret is not learned through the analysis of chemical compounds, but by a thorough study of nature's laws peculiar to their sex. It is useless for women with wrinkled faces, dimmed eyes and blemished skins to seek for external applications of beautifying bums and lotions to bring the glow of life and health into the face. And yet there are truths, simple yet wonderful, whereby the bloom of early life can be restored and retained, as should be the heritage of all God's children, sending the light of beauty into every woman's face. The secret, too, do not bathe in hard water, soften it with a few drops of ammonia, or a little borax. 3. Do not bathe the face while it is very warm, and never use very cold water. 4. Do not attempt to remove dust with cold water, give your face a hot bath using plenty of good soap, then give it a thorough rinsing with warm water. 5. Do not rub your face with a coarse towel. 6. Do not believe you can remove wrinkles by filling in the crevices with powder. Give your face a Russian bath every night, that island bathe it with water so hot that you wonder how you can bear it. And then, a minute after, with moderately cold water, that will make your face glow with warmth, dry it with a soft towel. For men deformity. 1. Physical deformities. Masquerading is a modern accomplishment. Girls wear tight shoes, burdens and skirts, corsets, etc. All of which prove so fatal to their health. At the age of 17 or 18, our young ladies are sorry specimens of femininity and palpitators. Cosmetics and all the modern paraphernalia are required to make them appear fresh and blooming. Man is equally at fault. A devotee to all the absurd devices of fashion. He practically asserts that dress makes the man, 
but physical deformities are of far less importance than moral imperfections. 2. Development of the individual. It is not possible for human beings to attain their full stature of humanity, except by loving long and perfectly. Behold that venerable man, he is mature in judgment, perfect in every action and expression, and saintly in goodness. You almost worship as you behold, what rendered him thus perfect, what rounded off his natural asperities, and molded up his virtues, love mainly, it permeated every pore, and seasoned every fiber of his being, as could nothing else, mark that matronly woman, in the bosom of her family she is more than a queen and goddess combined, all her looks and actions express the outflowing of some or all of the human virtues, to know her is to love her, she became thus perfect not in a day or year, but by a long series of appropriate means, then by what? Chiefly in and by love, which is specially adapted thus to develop this maturity. 3. Physical Stature Men and women generally increase in stature until the 25th year, and it is safe to assume, that perfection of function is not established until maturity of bodily development is completed. The physical contour of these representations plainly exhibits the difference in structure and also implies difference of function. Solidity and strength are represented by the organization of the male, grace and beauty by that of the female. His broad shoulders represent physical power and the right of dominion, while her bosom is the symbol of love and nutrition. How to determine a perfect human figure? The proportions of the perfect human figure are strictly mathematical. The whole figure is six times the length of the foot, whether the form be slender or plump. This rule holds good. Any deviation from it is a departure from the highest beauty of proportion. The Greeks made all their statues according to this rule. The face, from the highest point of the forehead, where the hair begins, to the end of the chin, is one-tenth of the whole stature. The hand, from the wrist to the end of the middle finger, is the same. The chest is a fourth, and from the nipples to the top of the head is the same. From the top of the chest to the highest point of the forehead is a seventh. If the length of the face from the roots of the hair to the chin, be divided into three equal parts, the first division determines the point where the eyebrows meet, and the second the place of the nostrils, the navel is the central point of the human body, and if a man should lie on his back with his arms and legs extended, the periphery of the circle which might be described around him, with the navel for its center, would touch the extremities of his hands and feet. The height from the feet to the top of the head is the same as the distance from the extremity of one hand to the extremity of the other when the arms are extended. The Venus de Medici is considered the most perfect model of the female forms, and has been the admiration of the world for ages. Alexander